Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable, hosted by Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Dorothy is a nationally recognized benefits and compliance consultant and group health broker. Here, you'll listen to industry experts break down the latest news and trends in employee benefits, healthcare reform, regulations and compliance, all designed to empower executive decisions. Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I'm your host, Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting, and I'm very pleased to have with me today as my guest, Faith Borges, Legislative Advocate for the California Agents and Health Insurance Professionals Association, known as KHIP, as well as Don McFarland, Vice President of Legislation of KHIP. We're going to be discussing today a very big scare in the world of health insurance and employee benefits in California, our recent proposed legislation called AB 1400, which was a single-payer bill, as well as a companion piece of legislation Assembly Constitutional Amendment 11, or ACA 11. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Dorothy. Thanks for having us on your podcast today. It's great to be here. Well, it's wonderful having you guys. I'm really happy about this. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, fear in our industry over the course of the last few weeks so uh, and months, uh, so I'm glad we're able to talk about this today. We recently saw a lot of activity with a single-payer assembly bill here in California, which was AB 1400, as well as an assembly constitutional amendment, ACA 11, which would have provided tax revenue to partially fund the single-payer bill. Let's start with AB 1400. Can you tell everyone what this bill would have done had it passed and had it been signed into law? AB 14 would have effectively abolished private health insurance in California and would have mandated a government-run monopoly on all healthcare services. So no more covered California, no more Medi-Cal, no more Medicare in the state, no more employer-sponsored coverage. There would be one state-administered program. The closest comparison I can give you would be the DMV. If you drive your car in California, you have no choice but to get your registration and all of the laws pertaining to driving through the DMV, it would be the same effectively for healthcare. So the proponents of the bill proposed to call this new program CalCare, which is short for California Guaranteed Healthcare for All. Uh, so we'll probably refer to it throughout the podcast uh, by that title, but it would have been a true single payer system with no alternative. Well, thank you for that explanation. Can you explain what happened on January 31st that was so significant for AB 1400? Sure. So California um, operates on a two-year legislative cycle. Uh, the Assembly, which is kind of the equivalent of Congress at the state level, are elected for two-year terms. And so they have the full two years to kind of effectively introduce and pass legislation. Legislation that's introduced in the first year of a two-year session, if it doesn't pass, which AB 1400 didn't go through the legislature in the first year, I'll discuss those reasons later. Um, has a one-month period at the beginning of the second year, which this year, January of 2022, whereby the legislation can be considered in a policy committee, a fiscal committee, and then a full vote of the assembly. Um, AB 1400 made it through the policy committee and the fiscal committee and the deadline to make it off of the floor, which is what we call the full vote of the assembly, was January 31st. So that's a hard deadline. Um, AB 1400 ultimately wasn't brought up by the author of the bill, Assemblymember Ash Kalra, um, due to reasons that he cited not having the votes. Um, though our internal um, record keeping really indicates that it was extremely close. Um, 
So without him putting that bill forward for a vote by the deadline on the 31st, it was in effect killed for the year. Well, thank you, Faith. Uh, We had a similar bill a few years back, and that was SB 562. Were there any differences, you know, in general between AB 1400 uh, and SB 562, or were they basically the same type of bill? Um, AB 1400 was kind of SB 562 reincarnate. And for those of you who may not be familiar with the legislative history on SB 562, that bill also went through a full policy hearing, a fiscal committee hearing, and made it to the floor um, of the Senate. So it was the other house here in California. Um, When it made it over to the assembly, Speaker Rendon, who happens to be the speaker now, and he was back in 2017 when we heard that bill, um, ultimately held SB 562 because it didn't contain a funding source. So he didn't think it was fair to have, you know, the second and final house consider this policy without discussing the funding mechanism, right? You can't honestly talk about single payer and not discuss the payer. So SB 562 did not contain a funding source. Though there was um, wide speculation about the funding that it would take to finance such a system and resources include the Senate Appropriations Committee did a very thorough financial review on SB 562 where they discovered it would cost over $400 billion per year. And I think we'll talk about financing a little later. AB 1400 was introduced with the same flaw. It didn't contain a financing mechanism. Ultimately, proponents of the bill did introduce companion legislation, Assembly Constitutional Amendment 11, but really they were by and large the same policy legislation. Well, what specifically does ACA 11 have in it for funding? Can you break that down for us? Sure. Um, So first I should say that proponents of the bill in order to fund that $400 billion, which for context, the entire California state budget is something like 286 billion. And that's at a record budget year with a very substantial surplus. So just for context, the entire state budget wouldn't cover it. So proponents of the bill assume that the federal government would be willing to turn over um, all of the financial resources that they presently provide to the state through Medicare, through our Medicaid system, Medi-Cal, and through subsidies for covered California. That tabled, you would still be $200 billion short in order to fund this system. The proponents identified a complex tax structure that would include numerous tax increases, predominantly the bill would require funding from a gross receipts tax, which is very challenging in California because it doesn't consider the amount of money a company is actually making. It's all of the money that passes through the business, and it doesn't consider a business's ability to pay. That tax was proposed at a rate of 2.3%, and as of now, pertains to all businesses. The bill also called for a payroll tax with an employer share. If the employer has more than 50 employees, they would pay 1.25% of payroll on wages and other compensation to their employees. The payroll tax would also include an employee share whereby employees who earn more than $49,900 in wages would pay 1% of their payroll. The bill also calls for an additional personal income tax on high income earners, basically accounting to about $150,000 or more, and then going up incrementally without limit. 
All of this together, proponents assume would raise $168 billion per year. Okay, thank you for that explanation, Faith. I'm sure that our listeners will appreciate that. Let's get into some of the specifics on what AB 1400 and SB 562 would have done to our current healthcare system. I know you mentioned it earlier, but what type of health plan as we know it now would remain in existence? None. <laughs> None is the short answer. Um, the services that CalCare proposed to cover are all traditional medical services, dental care, vision care, prescription drug coverage, long-term care, mental health, dietary, chiropractic, acupuncture, and it would prohibit these services from being offered outside of the system. So any program that currently covers all of those services would no longer be able to exist. There's some kind of wonky technical language that supplemental services could be provided, but really what is there outside of, you know, those services I just listed off. Um, so in effect, there would be no more employer coverage, no more Kaiser, no more Medicare, just a state program for healthcare. And what about uh, co-insurance, co-pays, that sort of thing? How would uh, CalCare or SB 562, how would they have handled that? Would there be any funding coming in from the participants as they use the plan? So part of why the price tag for the bill is so high or for this policy is because it proposes to cover all of those services with no cost sharing no premiums, no co-pays, no deductibles. So when we say single payer, the single source really of revenue is through taxation primarily. So this would shift cost sharing as we know it, um, which has some, you know, arguably uh, policy considerations towards, you know, your, your costs go up as your utilization goes up would be completely eliminated. It would be entirely funded through taxes. Yeah, I think the one of the issues that the public might have with this is that some people might be attracted to that because they hear it's free, but doesn't sound like it's actually free. Is that the case? Because it sounds like it's a lot of lot more taxes to me, not necessarily free, but a lot more tax revenue, tax increases on everyone. Not to mention the fact that when everything is free and there's a single payer involved making a decision, you start getting rationed care to some degree as well, because there's still a budget. And there's still a, a cap about what can be covered. So it, it sounds really good. Everyone would like to go to the doctor and receive whatever care they want and not have to worry about paying any kind of bill. But what happens when you go to the doctor, you find out you're 80 years old, you find out you need a hip replacement and you're told, sorry, we, we don't cover that at 80 years old anymore. Don touched on a really good point. When a system like this is funded at the state level as opposed to the national level, the state can't deficit spend. That $286 billion that I mentioned is finite. That is the sole source of funding for education, for law enforcement, for wildfire responses. And so if we were to experience a budget lull such as we just came out of with the COVID uh, induced recession in 2020, you could see the very scenario Don just mentioned where either taxes are increased and or care is rationed. Yeah, I know that personally, I grew up in the state of Michigan, and I remember uh, a lot of people that I went to school with and so forth, and people that I knew around uh, southeastern Michigan, a lot of people were actually Canadian, and the reason that they moved to Michigan or other states is because someone in their family had a health condition, and they were going to have to wait too long to get care w within the Canadian healthcare system. So I do have some personal experience with that, and it's not 
it's not a good thing when you know someone says you have cancer but we can't get this cancer screening for you for four months or you need an MRI but you can't get that for 10 months uh, so that that's something that people need to be aware of as you said uh, when they're looking at something like single-payer there's only so much that they can do with the funding that they have and if they don't have the funding then it doesn't get paid for it you don't get the service so I think that's something that's really important so thanks for bringing that up well, we talked about this before and you've called this system that AD 1400 and other legislation similar to this would have created something that gets people's attention, Faith. Uh, you mentioned this, you called it the DMV of healthcare. Would you like to comment further on that? I mean, it's Californians, I don't know what, it, what healthcare is like in other states, but it's been a frustrating process to deal with a lot of our state systems. Um, EDD did not function well. We had billions of dollars in fraud. I think the last numbers I saw were something like $3 billion. Um, waited months for services. DMV is historically frustrating um, for folks. But honestly, I think perhaps the most honest answer about what this program is would be Medi-Cal for all. The state runs our Medicaid system, and traditionally, it's not a system that people are clamoring to get on or really proud of the coverage that they receive. So if the state would like to take over everyone's health care, I think you really have to give people a foundation of confidence that they're going to do a great job because this would provide no alternatives. Yeah, no alternatives. That's that's absolutely correct. Uh, there was a study that was done to determine the feasibility of single payer or as they called it, unified financing over the long run. Can you tell us about that study? Uh, and even with the AB 1400 bill gone for now, is that study still moving forward? And what does that mean to the future legislatures and, and future threats of single payer here in California? Study is the Healthy California for All, conducted by the Healthy California for All Commission, a commission put together back, um, I think it was 2017 or 2018. And KHIP has been, we've created an ad hoc committee to make sure that there is, there is a voice and that we are knowledgeable about what those discussions look like. So they created a report that is already out, the first report, and then they were commissioned to create a second report, which is due at the end of February. And this is supposed to educate the legislators. It's it's a very, um, the cast of characters in this commission are very scholarly. They've done tons of studies in how, their purpose is how do we create a unified financing system, which is single payer. Right, and I think I just wanted to to restate that. Uh, don't, don't be... Don't be confused when you hear someone talking about unified financing because it is, as Don mentioned, uh, single payer. Uh, is there anything that our members and that the public needs to know about this study? And the next study was supposed to come out, as you said, at the end of February. What is it that we need to know? What is it that we need to tell people about this? A couple of things on in terms of KHIP and the action that we take on behalf of the agents, which is why membership is so important we were providing solutions. So one of the things that I feel like our, uh, our side of the industry and agents are the ones that work hand in hand with people when they're trying to seek care, when they're trying to find what their plans cover, when they're trying to, when they get a bill that makes no sense because they thought they had coverage for it. Agents are the ones that help walk through that process. So we wanted to make sure that agents had a voice in suggesting solutions to this group that maybe they aren't thinking of because they're so determined of this unified financing system is the only solution. We feel like there are other ways to work out our current system and make improvements that way. 
In the first report, Healthy California for All, when that came out, they talked about not only eliminating fully insured plans, but also self-funded plans, which, of course, got my attention because I do a lot of self-insurance. Those plans are currently regulated by ERISA. So, you know, self-funded employers, for the most part, think that their plans would continue, but not necessarily under this particular report and this unified financing uh, discussion that they were having. And if uh, they had their way with this, I should say they wanted to eliminate sort of, uh, and I'll let you expand on that a little bit, self-funded plans as well. Based on the, you know, what the first study said, can you explain how they were going to attempt to regulate self-funded plans? Sure. So this commission was looking to eliminate the distinctions between employer-sponsored coverage and the state's provided coverage. So that does, in effect, eliminate large group coverage and ERISA plans, though they don't directly have the authority to do that. That's a federally regulated um, sector of insurance. But an application about how do you address the five-plus million Californians that are in ERISA-covered plans they looked at provider payment as a way to kind of get around this limitation that they have in being unable to um, regulate ERISA plans. So, for example, they talked about eliminating the ability of providers in the state, so all of the physicians and healthcare providers, from accepting any payment outside of this government program. And so, of course, if you can't accept payment, you've effectively eliminated it, it, it in functionality. Um, from existing. This was just put forward as a consideration as an option. This is not in a law anywhere. This isn't in a proposed law even, but it is something that this ancillary group that's looking at how the state could implement it um, did consider alternatives to addressing ERISA. Okay, so I know we've talked about this a couple times, but I want to, you know, bring it up one more time here. so that everyone understands it, AB 1400 and SB 562 would have eliminated all current types of health plans, fully insured, self-funded, Medicare, everything. Can you just confirm that again so that everybody totally gets this? Including VA benefits? Any, the idea is that they're going to get all of the federal waivers. So everything that the state receives in terms of federal waivers for health care will now come to the state to help finance. And that we still need all those taxes we talked about on top of all these federal waivers that we don't even know if we can get. So all of you that have Medicare right now and have paid into that for a lifetime of employment, no longer. That that system would not exist in California with a system like this proposition. Thank you, Don. And what about providers? What do doctors think about this? And what if they leave the state? Do you think that might happen? Would we Would we lose doctors if something like this passed? I can't speak directly for doctors, but I can speak for the um, public activities of their trade association, the California Medical Association. They were in strong opposition to both SB 562 and AB 1400, though I should kind of caveat that they are not directly opposed to single payer, um, but they do have a very lengthy list of requirements in the way that that would need to be implemented to protect what they view as, you know, guaranteed funding sources so that you don't see a mass exodus of providers in the state. Um, But to these proposals, they were absolutely very concerned that it would have a very detrimental impact to what is arguably the biggest driver of health outcomes, which is access to providers. You can't just put a new state program insurance card in people's wallet and say that you've addressed access to care and quality care in the state we really do need to look at um, the availability of 
folks to meet with a provider in their community that reflects their community and that improves health outcomes. And this bill did not do that. Thanks, Faith. Can you tell us the significance of the current majority in both houses in California legislature for the Democratic Party? What's what's so important about that? Yeah, I tell, um, you know, KHIT members all the time that we're usually fighting two fronts. You have the policy front and the political front. Um, policy front, I, I hope that we've done a good job of convincing you all so far that this just sounds like a trip to the moon. Um, but the political reality is something that we absolutely have to consider um, and take very seriously here in the state of California. And that's in large part because as a part of the Democratic Party platform, it calls for the abolition basically of a public and private partnership, which we currently receive healthcare through. And it talks about support for a single payer. So party platforms are kind of like the tenets of your faith, right? It's part of the reason that you belong to a particular party. And I think it's relatively unknown for most, um, I'm just gonna say, you know, your, your average Democrat in the streets of California may not know that that's a part of the party platform, but those that are heavily involved in, you know, central committee work and in the politics of California know that it is. So with that requirement, we saw that kind of reflected in the Assembly Health Policy Committee, where we had hours of members railing against the bill. Um, but then at the end of the day, all of the Democrats, you know, supported it with the exception of one who abstained. So we saw 11 I votes, three no votes and one abstention um, from a Democrat in a swing area down in San Diego. So even though members have policy concerns, the politics of the bill and not supporting it weighed in heavily to the outcomes that we were seeing in committees. Um, that also rings true for the entire floor vote that we were expecting, right? We had as a coalition of you know health plans and hospitals and providers, agents that were meeting with legislative staff, we could walk them through the realities of you know why eliminating Medicare in California is a terrible idea. And they could see that. But when you have the political pressures of an election year, which this is, um, it became very frictional. And to the point that you were making in the question that you asked, California is so blue that we have over two thirds supermajority uh, democratic control in both houses, both the assembly and the Senate, and in every statewide office from the governor you know, down to the insurance commissioner. So theoretically, because this bill, AB 1400, only required a simple majority vote you think that the, the vote would be there with votes to spare really from you know the moderate members such as the Central Valley that are very sensitive to tax increases. Um, so that legislative makeup was something that is a very big political reality. Thanks, Faith. Uh, let's talk about one other thing related to that. Uh, California, from what I understand, um, in the presidential primaries in 2020, did not vote President Biden. Can you tell us why that might be significant? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when a state as blue as California, um, we're starting to have different conversations than the rest of the country, right? We're talking about what type of Democrat are you? So you have, you know, the Berniecrats of the world versus the more traditional or institutional, you know, Hillary's or um, pre now President Biden. California was carried by Bernie Sanders in the presidential primary in 2020, which is very significant showing that the type of Democrat in California is very different than maybe a Democrat, at, you know, in Texas, right, where you're still seeing more of kind of a blue dog institutional Democrat. Um, here, it's very progressive. 
also what type of Democrat we have in both houses of the legislature is very important. We do have kind of a progressive caucus, and then there is a very substantial moderate caucus that um, has developed over the years as California has shifted away from really a two-party system that we're familiar with in the rest of the country, you know, Democrats and Republicans. Frankly, Republicans um, for a short period, I think in the last year or so, fell to third party levels behind declined to state voters. So the conversation from a political dynamic has really been progressive Democrats versus moderate Democrats. Um, and I think this is something that'll be interesting to see play out at the Democratic convention that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, thank you very much for that. So does this mean that a similar bill could come back in California? And if so, when might we see something like this come up again? So I was well taught by Faith about the process in this. Um, it, the same language, the same bill cannot be brought up in this legislative session. February 18th is the deadline to present any new bills. So if, if I, they possibly could, there could be some changes, something could come up in February 18th is the deadline for this session. What I want to reinforce in this conversation is that it doesn't mean if it doesn't show up, we can we can just relax. We need to keep our voice a part of the conversation because healthcare is, and should we need we know that there are fixes that are needed in our healthcare system. We're well aware of that. We support universal access to healthcare. We want quality and affordable access to healthcare, and the way to achieve that is a private-public partnership. And actually, California is very close to achieving universal healthcare because as part of the governor's proposed budget this year, um, he proposed to cover the largest remaining sector of those that are uninsured. So Californians are currently, there's 94% that are covered. So for the remaining 6%, it's largely comprised of the undocumented in California that are excluded from coverage in our current law when they're from the ages of 26 to age 50. So Governor Newsom is proposing to open up access to Medi-Cal if they would you know, otherwise be income eligible and are presently excluded because of their uh, documentation status in two years, in 2024, that would be opened up and that's without increasing taxes. So California has proposals on the table right now through the budget to achieve universal access for all Californians, regardless of immigration status by 2024, which is much quicker than any um, single payer type legislation would be able to be implemented. And it's already funded without increasing taxes and without dismantling the healthcare system for the 96% of Californians that presently have healthcare. Thank you for bringing that up because I think that's important for people to understand. You don't necessarily have to tear down everything we have. We're talking about, as you said, 6% of the population, which again, if there's existing proposals and people may or may not agree with that. Uh, they may or may not. They might say, well, I don't want to cover the undocumented. But when you think about the difference between covering those 6% and ripping apart our entire system and starting from scratch with single payer and increasing taxes and, uh, you know, losing providers and all the other risks that, that would occur with that system, I think people need to be a little bit more open to that uh, instead of just the automatic, well, I don't want to cover the undocumented. So I'm glad that you brought that up because that was going to be my next question. So thank you. KHIP is a new DBA for the California Association of Health Underwriters. Can you explain why there was a name change and the significance of this? Because I know, Faith, you've had a lot to do with this over the years. <laughs> this has been like a personal battle, for sure. Um, as the person that's representing agents in the capital community and with stakeholders and conversations, 
Um, I'm so incredibly proud of that work, first of all. It's an honor to be able to do so. And second of all, it's uh, confusing, especially to meet with younger staffers or anybody who's um, only been in healthcare for the last 10 years or so to identify um, as an underwriter. Underwriters are perceived by some as being affiliated with the denial of coverage, which is the exact opposite of what agents are trying to do, right? Nobody wants you to have health insurance more than an insurance agent. Um, we're trying to get people covered. And with the ACA, right, there's no more denials and there's much less underwriting than in a pre-ACA world. So identifying the association by what folks do now, I think it's really helpful in painting a clear picture of who we are, you know, California agents, and because there's a lot of support that this industry relies on, you know, from GAs and others and health insurance professionals, we want them to have a home in this association too, in making sure that your voice is heard and considered in proposals like AB 1400, which, by the way, would have eliminated the role of the agent entirely in this new system. It would have delegated these services over to nonprofit organizations or just frankly government employees. So it would be a new bureaucracy. There would be no more role of the independent agent. So, and there's nobody advocating for that voice or that role outside of this association. So it's incredibly important to, you know, collect the voices that currently have fought so hard to increase, you know, enrollment numbers and quality of care and to keep prices low um, in the future of healthcare, right? There should be a voice. So having an accurate description of the good work that you do is important. Thank you, Faith. I remember several years ago when you were first talking about this, I was at a uh, Day at the Capitol event in Sacramento, and you didn't even know me. I think you were brand newer or was in your first couple of years uh, being the legislative advocate for CAHU at that time before KHIP. And you brought it up in that meeting in and talked about the fact that we need a name change. And I remember you didn't even have any clue who I was because I was past president of CAHU. I was, you know, past NAHU regional vice president, past, 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 past for many years. And I stood up in the back of the room and I remember saying, I remember this because it was my first kind of real conversation with you. And I said, hey, if Faith says she needs us, then we need to do it. And I remember afterwards you and I talked. And I just remember that specifically because I didn't know you. You didn't know me. But you brought something up that was so important that it stuck with me. So that was kind of the beginning of our relationship. And I wasn't even on a board at that time. I was in my 10-year or so hiatus from the boards. So or that's a, just a nice memory that I have um, You know, when I first met you. So I'm glad you stayed on it. I'm glad you kept fighting for it and that it finally happened. So congratulations, Faith, because as far as I'm concerned, this was all you. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for that, that memory. And you know what? I have to take it back to memory before because prior to joining the association, I was a legislative director in the Capitol. Um, I worked for legislators both in the Assembly and in the Senate. And I can remember at one point by a particular legislator being asked to check in with the underwriters. And I was like, who is that? And how am I going to find these people? <laughs> um, because I didn't realize it was an agent association, which just frankly on its face provided a lot more context for why you would have the answer the legislator was <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that background. I appreciate that. And I'm sure our listeners do as well. Can you tell us about the grassroots lobbying activities that KHIP members were involved with and how that may have affected the activities on January 31st with uh, AB 1400 or, or at least contributed to it? I'm going to touch on that from a perspective. It, it, we are incredibly fortunate 
to have faith as a legislative advocate for KHIP. What she, what she does and the fact that she makes our conversations be heard in a way that it's not, it really isn't just about saving our job as an agent. It is because we agents care about our clients. We care about how they receive their healthcare. We, our heart is to help people. And she talks day in and day out about that, which is to the name change point, one of the things that rings true in my heart, I'm an Ahu Kool-Aid drinker all the way. So my heart has been attached to the Ahu name for 10 years now. But KHIP makes so much sense because now when Faith goes and has a conversation with our legislators, she doesn't have to explain who the heck are we because underwriters is so obsolete now. So we start there, we have Faith and we have Faith's direction. And then we, we brought in the operation shout from our national arm. And that the purpose of that was to be able to really do a grassroots effort and start notifying our legislators that our, it's not just our voice. So we created two operation shouts. We created one for the healthcare industry individuals, and we created another one just for your California citizen who doesn't want to see our healthcare system completely disrupted in chaos in the middle of a pandemic and doesn't want to have their taxes increased without a cap or limit. We wanted to give voice, a way to give voice to that. The response was incredible. We had 4,000 responses in, I think it was less than a week. So I will always tell you, I believe in the power of the people. I believe in the power of the voice of the people. If we all pay attention, please pay attention to these things. This affects all of us. Yeah, 4,000 4, emails and letters going to legislators. That's not, that's not small potatoes. That's a big deal. Uh, yeah. that's, that's a really big deal. And, and I applaud those that... Uh, uh, cooperated with that and and participated in that and I know I certainly was one of the four thousand or a couple of times I guess at least two of the four thousand because I did both but um, it, it was a great campaign it was wonderful and it allowed us as agents as you said to go out to our clients and and ask them to get involved and explain to them what was going on and I think that was a really good things to do so we're not just talking about agents we're talking about our clients and and that's a that's a good thing because we're representing employers out there we're representing individuals out there uh we're representing people that are on medicare and so forth so i i think that's that's really fabulous that that happened and and i think that kahu and khip or whatever you want to call us now now we're khip so i think that khip members and their clients really made a difference in this and what do you think faith do you think this had a good impact on on the outcome Oh, absolutely. I think um, politics is still really local, right? The needs of the Central Valley um, look different than the needs of an urban area like San Francisco. And when legislators can hear from their constituents about what they're feeling about these important issues, it makes a big difference. And the Operation Shout system is so impactful because on the back end, without you having to do all the work of knowing who your assembly member and your senator are, it connects you by your zip code to your legislator. So your message goes directly to them. And that's such an incredibly um, impactful communication for legislators to hear from their constituents. And we just try to take some of that legwork out of it for you because we know you all have day jobs. So I think the grassroots efforts combined with the unified voice of medical providers and the hospitals and health plans and agents and employers really did demonstrate to the legislature that you know, um, players that traditionally may be at odds over the administration of healthcare 
are unified in demonstrating that this is the wrong way. Thank you. So what would you say to non-members in our industry on the importance of belonging to an association such as KHIP, such as NAHU? I'd first say you're welcome. And then I'd say join right now. Join now and don't stop joining because we because AB 1400 was defeated. Join because you care about your clients, you care about your career, and you want to have a positive impact on what we do. That is what the voice of NAHU federally does and CAHU and your local chapters in California do. And it is our job. Look, at if, if you're going to talk to a legislator and you say, oh, yeah, I'm a member of this 10 people association. That's not significant, but when you say I'm a member of an association that represents 200,000 agents across the country, they might listen a little more. That's why your membership matters. Please join. Thank you. I guess that's a recruitment statement from all of us to all of you out there listening. So for sure. Well, thank you very much, Dawn. Um, right from the heart, I like that. What would you like to leave the listeners with today as far as this and similar threats to the existing healthcare system in California? Uh, this was not a false alarm. This was something that was very much moving through the legislature and moving very quickly. Um, I also think that agents play such a huge role, um, and health insurance professionals, in educating both the legislature and their clients on some of the key terms and differences about what's being proposed. You know, a lot of terms are used interchangeably, Medicare for all, universal access, single payer. We've spoken to, you know, two of those systems here and the differences in how one is something agents should be supporting, right? Universal access. And one is something that will eliminate healthcare for everyone that has it. So knowing about that is really important. And we hope as an association to give you resources, very um, relatable talking points, infographics, information on the taxation and the funding, if that was what concerned you the most, information on the impact to patients, if that's what concerns you the most. We want you to take ownership of these healthcare issues and changes that are being proposed at the state level, that's, um, it's not small, these are not small changes. People need to know what's going on at the national level, at the state level, and at the local level, which is how our membership is structured to provide you with resources on each. So please be engaged. Um, and if you're not gonna engage with your time, at least with your resources to ensure that people who are willing to give their time can continue to do so. Well, we're out of time today, but I want to thank you both so much for joining me today and enlightening our listeners on this very real threat to employer-based health care coverage, individual coverage, Medicare, Medi-Cal, and every other type of health care we currently have in California. Thanks very much. Dorothy, I just want to thank you also for all the work that you do tirelessly in creating resources for agents as well. I, I, I don't know that this is the forum you wanted that, but I, I appreciate all the work that you put in for our members. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. If anyone wants more information, they can reach out to me at Advanced Benefit Consulting, or they can reach out to khip at kahu.org. That is C-A-H-U dot org. For everyone out there, please stay safe, stay healthy, and we look forward to having you join us on our next podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary.
Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3. Toll free at 866-658-3835 or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.